0: This podcast is sponsored by Bailey Gifford. Their podcast series, Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking, brings you in-depth knowledge and challenging points of view from Bailey Gifford's investment managers. Search online for Bailey Gifford Short Briefings. Welcome to this CityWire podcast, the second in a series of conversations between a futurist, or as he likes to be known, chief annoying question asker, Mark Stevenson, uh, a regular speaker at uh, CityWire events, and a top fund manager. Uh, This episode, we're here to discuss the evolution of the financial sector, perhaps more specifically, you could call it financial technology or fintech these days, Um, Jupiter's Guy DiBlonneau. Hello to you both.
1: Hello. Hello. Hello.
0: Can we start by talking uh, about a bit of news today that the UK government has launched a review into the country's fintech industry. You may see this, may not. But the independent fintech strategic review uh, will be led by Ron Khalifa, um, former CEO of WorldPay, uh, and will establish priority areas for industry policymakers and regulators to explore in order to support the ongoing success of the UK fintech sector. Um, Guy, I know, incidentally, I think WorldPay WorldPay um, was acquired by Fidelity National Information Services, which you hold. We could talk about that uh, uh, slightly later. But perhaps you could start by telling us what you would hope uh, from such a review. And perhaps explain to us what WorldPay does and why it's an important player such that its former CEO uh, maybe be, may be uh, steering it.
1: Well, I haven't, I haven't seen this news, but, um, but, I, but I clearly um, I think that there is an important component when it comes to um, payment solutions, simply because the migration from a cash economy to a cashless economy um, can very much improve lives and we, we certainly thought that since since we launched the first financial funds about twenty years ago um, and went through the first financial crisis, or just, yeah, and the latest financial global financial crisis that we had in 2008, 2009, brought in by obviously an excess of poor regulation, um, has certainly um, brought interest rates to a level where um, innovation, disruption has um, clearly come to the fore with, you know, to, to really respond or give an answer to to this, this abuse that was poorly, this poor oversight that we've seen, especially within the financial sector. And for me as an investor, um, having to allocate capital to companies with um, uh, legacy, um, a tra- poor track record when it comes to uh, governance, uh, um, generally speaking, and perhaps still some fines to come and some litigation issues to 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 um, to, to sort out um, the the fintech industry coming in clean and bringing some good to an economy some good to um, uh, consumers um, we, we we started to to think that you know, investing towards um, this digital transformation that is coming upon us obviously accelerating since uh, the uh, arrival of COVID-19, unfortunate arrival of COVID-19, we are simply offering a vehicle that is a much cleaner and with better characteristics when it comes to the world, the climate and um, consumers, generally speaking. Well, Mark, perhaps
0: as way of introduction, I'm putting your... your... Stake in the sand, your spear in the sand. Uh, you know, what do you think the aims? Uh, well, you know, what do the aims of such a review be? I suppose, if you you know, in, in these very fresh news, uh, I'm not saying necessarily you know a lot about, but you know, in generally responding to what Guy was saying there about um, being able to put money behind better businesses. What's your view of, of where um, you know such companies need to go? Well, I mean, obviously,
2: the, I think the review is in part because of Brexit as well, because they're going to be wanting to, to stimulate investment in that sector in the UK um, and there's going to be you know some uncertainties around access to various markets and um, particularly European markets so I think there's going to be a lot of that in it but you know one of the things that I think is potentially useful about this industry is it just removes trillions of dollars of friction from the world's economy there's so much sort of financial friction with people you know having to pay fees on transactions that just really shouldn't be there uh, lots of middle Men and women in between you know customer and and uh, and, and supplier um, so I think if, if we can make the payments industry as cheap as possible that's a good thing for everybody uh, echoing guy's point but also um, as guy says well there's been quite poor oversight and I think what should be in the review is like how are we going to use this technology to make sure that the financial world particularly the payments world is more transparent in terms of where money is going Um, so it's easier to expose dodgy transactions and also to help us with the tax situation as well because there's a lot of tax avoidance as well and if we can use this review to tie in okay if we're gonna do it all cheaper and whatever then it was also easy to see where you should be paying your tax rather than you know offshoring it somewhere else so that would be my desire but i, do- I doubt that's probably in the terms of the brief
0: i don't know but i mean uh, guy you were uh, nodding along there to some of the things the tax avoidance or, or removing dodgy practices um, yeah I just want to come respond to that
1: I think I think you've got you've got clearly a duty uh, for some of these major uh, payments companies if we take the example of Nexi in Italy just uh, owned by by a bunch of bank, banks and uh, and that just recently IPO at the end of the day this is a company this is an an electronic payment company um, that will be that will play a significant role in fighting corruption and the black economy. So you're really not only investing in a company that is going to bring goods to consumers when it comes to, uh, what Mark just said, um, less friction, but also is going to do its job in bringing transparency into the system and uh, and hopefully ta- tackle. Uh, a black economy, or or, or, or or simply corruption. You mentioned obviously the low
0: interest rates since um, since the financial crisis. And there's sort of two mm. parts to that, I think, because you were kind of the financial crisis. I think there's an element of. Of, sort of dead wood being cleared away, uh, or, like, or or at least or th- th- there was sort of a you know lack of regulation that brought some of that on. And then obviously more regulation following it, and a low interest environment, low interest rate environment as well. Just to be interesting yeah. to hear you talk about that innovation. You know what? Just tell a bit more about that story of innovation in the last ten years.
1: Well, before the global financial crisis, companies could leverage themselves up to an extent that they could. In some cases, companies were delivering you know, the banks as we know them, like a, a Santander or a UBS or Goldman Sachs, were, were generating 30% return on equity. I mean, they were, they were over-levered, clearly, as we know now, but certainly no one was telling them what to do, and they were simply putting more money at, uh, more money at work and the risks just went up and then it blew up. To restart an economy that has crashed, obviously you have to bring interest rates very low and you have to obviously bail out companies, keep, keep, keep the ones that are weak um, alive to keep jobs and to, to avoid any disruption. What, what has happened today is that um, the, 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 the monetary policy response has been very quick when it was a bit slow um, the, the the last crisis, as we we saw uh, you know, companies like Lehman Brothers going under, that brought in a credit crunch. It brought in a breakdown in the in the system, and the flow of credit stopped, uh, which we didn't have here because of the speed in, in which um, uh, the response had come from the authorities. Since the the last crisis, um, obviously some rules have been, put, have been have been have been created to to keep these companies from over-leveraging and themselves, and, and therefore, they've been unable to generate um, return on equity, in some cases, even the cost of equity. So, the business model was already under threat, but with, with interest rates being brought down so low and kept uh, down um, uh, for such a long period of time, most of these business models are, are broken and have to be um, um, completely reviewed. So what I've done, it's a simple evolution, is to look where, where the opportunities and who are the companies, which are the companies that are going to benefit from this shake-up in, in the sector. And with interest rates being so low, as I said earlier, the clear winners are the ones that are starting from or starting from a clear deck. And most of them are the disruptors that we know today. And that's how, uh, gently over the last three years, I've I've migrated towards uh, financial technology within the uh, capital allocation. And that has obviously generated good returns for for shareholders with payment solutions, with uh, uh, um, cybersecurity, um, the, 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 you know, these elements that are um, uh, orbiting around the notion of ecosystems. Let's not forget that the Bank of America or JP Morgan now, for at least three to four years, have been um, spending up to ten percent of uh, of revenues on IT and innovation. Half of that uh, in innovation. So some companies have have uh, 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 taken. Taken the the, the the situation seriously, some don't have the capital and are still lagging behind. Most of them to be found in in Europe, obviously. Um, but it's a it's a and COVID nineteen is now punishing quite dramatically the ones that have not been able to uh, keep up with um, with the change, and are certainly um, uh, rewarding dramatically the ones that uh, that are just at the forefront of of what is going on
0: yeah mark what's your be you know being your observation about what covid has done or has shown us about you know the fight sort of, you know financial sector type type companies um and i know that we've spoken about you know re- regula- regulation and disruption before so perhaps your views on that
2: i mean more generally what the crisis has done has exposed how we don't value things properly so um, all the things that we were told were too expensive previously, you know, like decent healthcare systems, social contracts, um, it, you know, more, less inequality, all that kind of stuff. All the stuff we were told was, was expensive has uh, turned out uh, to be, actually, it would have been a really great investment. And hopefully if you get more transparent, more efficient financial instruments, in the financial sector, it becomes easier to make those investments, I think. Um, so, you know, we just, we just haven't been costing stuff in, what we've been doing is allowing people to profit off inefficiencies and uh, those injustices have become massively exposed in the current crisis. And the good thing about uh, cheaper payments technologies is is, um, they do tend to benefit uh, people, you know, who are at the poor end of society because they're not having to pay so much to access or move their money around, which is good. so wasting the success of things like Monzo or whatever, which is, you know, a really good innovation. Um, so, you know, it's often been the case that if you were poor, you had to spend more money on your money or moving your money around, which is, or, or borrowing money, which is ridiculous. So, I think that's definitely up for a, for a, a rethink right now. Um, and I think that payments companies and financial fintech industry that takes that kind of role in, in rebalancing sort of the social contracts and social justice seriously, they will also be rewarded for that because I think that's the direction society is going, particularly after this crisis.
0: I think you've written before about you know i think possibly before lockdown was about the sort of you know more hybridization so more unified model where instead of you know rather than just having your online stores and or going to the shop down the road that every business should be able to do both essentially and, and it's interesting to talk about in terms of how payment system things can support communities you know i is you've been talking about the death of the high street but Here's the thing, people are desperate to get out of their houses. I mean, it's all we can do to pe- keep people indoors. But they don't want to go necessarily, on, they're fed up with their commutes, so they'll resist that. So there is a sort of opportunity for local high streets, local businesses, maybe not doing exactly what they were before, but the fact that, you know, to, to get people out of houses and spending money locally. Um, but that's going to be an interesting challenge for, you know, uh, or rather, you know, the the, the infrastructure and the, you know, the businesses you're investing in. Um, uh, you know, hopefully they can do something about that and, and, and help them make things things more efficient. I mean, is that, is that something, you know, could, could that happen or are they mainly focused on, on sort of bigger ticket things, on online and, and bigger businesses, helping the Amazons of this world?
1: Look at Amazon, the way it came up with the possibility for anyone to order anything from anywhere and to have it delivered at, at competitive price and to have it delivered at your doorstep eight hours later, it's quite an extraordinary uh, service that will take quite a a lot of energy and money to to, uh, dislodge. And I think uh, that's exactly the type of model that a JP Morgan within the wealth management or the financial services industry um, is going to go for. It's simply going to look for at all costs build the best ecosystem there is out there to really, in a certain way, indirectly destroy the, um, the, the competition. I, I think it's, it's, it's low interest rates and this amount of cheap money in the system mm-hmm. circulating is going to accelerate this type of strategy. And Amazon, the way it is today, or Tesla today, being, you know, Tesla not being profitable until maybe another two, three years, if not a longer or even a Uber or we saw with a, with a we work, these companies have given the permission to go for market share, revenue at all costs, mm. not caring much about where the property, when the profitability level will be will be met, and that 's what low interest rate environment brings uh, so you know, we can talk about financial technology as long as we want, but The day, the day interest rates have to move higher. Let's say it's not going to be tomorrow. We we, we can agree with that. And I think governments are going to focus on creating jobs and bringing these unemployment uh, rates that have collapsed back to where they were pre-COVID. So that will mean low interest rate for a long time, which means that many, many companies that are unprofitable today will still be around and may well be bigger in capitalization than profitable companies today that have low growth rates, mm. so it's it's a very unusual environment. But the fact is, we're going digital. This digital transformation is ongoing, and the pace has simply uh, gone way faster due to this virus. So I, I think I think you know it, you, you, if you if you ask me to where do you see the financial services sector in five years' time, or three or five years' time, and you asked me that question six to eight months ago, I could have maybe give you, a, you know, a vague indication of where I think the industry is going to be. But with COVID-19 and the way it has changed some behavioral patterns, the fact that we're working from home, that the fact that we're not even sure that we can go back to the office safely, and we're not even sure if there's going to be a second wave or third wave. And we don't, we don't even, we, there's so many unknowns. Yeah, yeah. So I just can't tell you where we're going to be in three years, <laughs> five years' time in the financial services industry, I'm afraid.
0: This podcast is in association with Bailey Gifford. Find out more about their Ranger funds and investment trusts at www.baileygifford.com. This sort of sweeping digitalization and this Ever increasing size and, and dominance of some of these, a few players. You know, just unpack what what that means to. You, you know, do
2: we do we want the increasing Amazon Amazonization <laughs> Amazonization of the world? Um, you know, I mean, guys, absolutely right. We're we're definitely going digital, I mean, one of the big effects, of course, is that. Um, uh, you know exorbitant uh, rates for offices in uh, in in city centres are going to have to change because you know i 've been working with a number of clients've i worked with a client yesterday. they had three city centre offices, one in Glasgow, one in Cardiff, one in London. Their leases are up um, and then it 's not going to happen they 're going to have one small office somewhere because they 're saying well we've wished to realize over the last three months we can all work at home." Cheaper, You know, pretty much as a credit. we do have to get together sometimes. So I think that's going to change. And there's going to be a lot of good things about that. We're often told we need to be somewhere or do something or be, the the ridiculous amounts of business travel we used to do, the ridiculous amounts of commuting that actually, you know, know, commuting is terrible for business. You you end up in most cities getting to work really annoyed already (laughs) because you've had to commute with a whole bunch of other people who are also really annoyed. And, you know, you've been in each other's armpits and you've got to work completely demoralized before you've even started. Uh, now I can, you know, finish be with my kids, you know, 10 seconds later. So there's, there's, there's many good things, but, but there is that kind of, you say that increasing the people who get this, the digital transformation, they become increasingly powerful. And that means we have to hold them to account and give them much more scrutiny. And this is where people like Guy can be very handy because of that powerful investor, the decisions he makes and the, also the way he, you know, votes at, you know, AGM and that becomes really important, you know, uh, Jeff, as us, for instance, has recently given, I think, on what was it, sort of, uh, a, a, a number of billions to fight climate change, that's a good thing. But then you look at the working conditions of some of the people working in Amazon work, you know, is that, do we want more of that? And so, you know, um, why was it? Uh, uh, well, it was, yes, it was, it was Spider-Man's uncle, and I think Franklin D. Roosevelt, who both said, uh, with power comes responsibility, and what we don't want and we are in danger
1: of getting a lot of power without much
0: responsibility. I so, saw so you nodding along to a few things Mark was saying. There was anything you wanted to? to...
1: I think um, fund managers, generally speaking, has has always. We, we I mean I, I speak, certainly speak for myself. I, I always had a some the industry calls it ESG, but we we have a good um, good amount of of governance and I suppose you know, checking. Human capital as an important component when we when we look at cut uh, companies, I would say the most important one is 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 governance um, we've we've avoided disasters by by identifying or picking up some interesting answers from managements on on some issues and you know, as soon as you you feel uncomfortable, you just decide not to invest in them. but the point I want to make here is that in the past we did not really Tell this. We we, we did we, we we never. I mean we never explained to clients why we did not invest in that company or why we sold um, uh, out of that particular company. Today, uh, we are actually asked to explain why we did not invest in this company and probably sold out of that company. And I think that's great because we can we can also show that uh, by doing a, a decent screening. Um, fund manager led um, bringing issues on the environment social and governance you can, you can actually uh, 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 identify um, a company that may not may not be for everyone and um, you know there's some companies that have been as you know I don't want to mention any names but we've, we've, we've avoided some you know within the payments industry we've avoided uh, uh, um, some disasters. I think possibly the name
0: you don't want to mention is is Wirecard. Th- that was interesting interesting because, you know, when you talk about ESG, you know, often, you know, we talk about uh, environmental factors and things like that, but, it's, you know, this is a government's issue, uh, which is sort of, you know, perhaps is, is just as important. So I think that's perhaps, uh, possibly carefully and euphemistically um, picking your way around, but um, you know, you, but you, you perhaps I, heightened your awareness of these things. Let's let's put it
1: another way. I think part of an investment process, you also have to look for patterns and answers um, from certain, you know, from question, from certain questions, um, and you have got to really be strict with yourself that if you're not comfortable with an answer, it's just not good enough. And simply, we were simply not comfortable enough with what we got uh, out of many calls we had with that company mm. i didn 't say what company it was, huh i didn 't say anything. I just said that sometimes you've got to continue and and get to the bottom of it. if you can 't, you have to forget about it mm. and move on. One of the rules uh,
2: that I always use in my dealings you know is um is go out for a meal with the senior people and just see how they treat the waiting staff. And that'll give
1: yeah. you 80% of the answers you need. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Very good, I'd like to
0: see, hear, hear you say that. I've been at a few uh, few industry conferences. Uh, I've not been particularly impressed uh, mm. at the di- at dinner at dinner time uh, with what's been going on. So uh, I'm glad you have the, the same mind as I am. Um, well, one of the things so to, to move on, I mean, in terms of uh, one thing I read, about the idea of all sort of money going digital and payments going digital is is the under the, the, the under the mattress the cash under the mattress factor, um, mm. which I thought was quite relevant. So you know there's there's the implication that it. There's, there's, I mean, not, I don't know how many people are really storing cash under the mattress. I used to hear stories sometimes that uh, it you know, around you go. But uh, it does happen uh, in various
1: forms. But, but it, there's, a, there's an idea that it, it improves financial stability. If a country like, let's say, Italy is resilient when it comes to uh, economic growth or, let's say, uh, recession, uh, it's simply because there is a black economy that carries on operating um when when it comes on the on the official part of the economy is seeing some weakness so once once we'll get that uh, once once governments uh, will have eradicated it, you know, it'll take a long time but it will at some point if we all go completely digital there'll be there'll be a a, a digital economy will become much more cyclical so that, I think, is the, is the, is the uh, negative side of going digital. Obviously, you want to bring the economy digital because you want fraud, corruption to be eradicated. And it has to be uh, uh, done. And if that's the way to do it, we have to do it. But obviously, it will bring some difficulties, especially for parts of the country. Let's say we take Italy again where it's been simply relying on the black economy. Mm.
2: I mean, the other thing you have to realize, though, is that, you know, the, the digitization of money isn't the only thing that's going to be digitized. So, I mean, energy is very much going in the same direction. And so what you're going to, what you'll see, you know, in 30 years' time is, is, is energy that basically flows like money, but incredibly cheaply. Like, renewables are so insanely cheap. And then you change the fundamentals of the economy again, because pretty much everything is tied to the price of energy. And when you take the price of energy down to nearly zero, and in fact, sometimes negative at the moment on sunny days in certain places, then maybe you don't have a cyclical economy either because you've changed an absolute fundamental. You also end up possibly with a failed Russia and a failed Saudi Arabia, which is not good geopolitically either. So um, you have to view these things all in context. So digitization is good in some ways, but, but, but it does have casualties. And the digitization of energy is going to have massive casualties um, and some of the work I'm doing at the MOD at the moment, we're talking about well, how do we transition Russia? Because once you take away that oil wealth, um, it doesn't matter how good their financial payments is <laughs> how how free of friction it is, uh, you've got you've you've got a failed state with a nuclear arsenal on the open market.
0: Mark, do you think do you think though, that on one of those points you see the end of the digital you know, have you know it'd be impossible to push the digital briefcase full of digital money? Um Across the, the top, or indeed underneath the desk, uh, to, to to someone because so that's what it was. It's about, isn't it? Is you know that sort of affects taxes as well, doesn't it? You know, often often some countries struggle to raise taxes because so much uh, money is is sort of passed between people outside of outside of the tax. Yeah, country. I
2: mean, Transparency International will tell you, I think that six billion of the world's people live in a country with some form of corruption problem. I worry about this less because if you want to talk about corruption, or you want to talk about um, crime or you want to talk about you know bad behavior, then there's so much of it done in plain sight already, using existing financial kind of instruments, just because certain people are privileged and can get away with it. Yeah. That's what you really want to attack. So these are moral questions, not you know, I don't think it, you know, up there, you know, I don't think it matters hugely the way money moves around if the um, the morals and ethics that underpin a society are corrupt. So for instance, if you look at, so we're talking about racism again okay and uh you looked at uh, when we abolished racism uh, the compensation that was paid not to slaves but to the slave owning companies okay and we i think we finished off paying the last interest uh, payment on that in, in 2011 or something after 2015 and you recently you know so um that is massive corruption and bad behavior in plain sight using, you know, in in today's money, billions and billions of pounds. So I think that the the, the mechanisms are far less important than the big social societal questions about what are we doing with the money? What do we value? Who has privilege? How did they get it? And uh, should they maintain it?
0: I've uh, started to get a few surveys through, Uh, obviously they see me as an influential financial journalist um, about sort of banking and the role of banking, but it sort of often comes up in these surveys uh, I think I, went, I earned points. I don't think I earned any more than that. But uh, for, for completing these. But uh, is, is you know what do you think about the role of, of banks? You know, what is, do they have a moral duty to you know? Obviously, these things are commissioned by banks who want to find out you know, what their what their customers think. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it? You know, banking is a system. For, you know, it's a system designed. It's a, it's, a, it's roads for designed to for people to to move money from one place to the other. But but it's, it's interesting to say. Well, actually, you know, especially since you know, too big to fail. It, it, it has a much greater purpose than that. And, and some of these issues are too big, you know, for, for, for individuals um, to sort of comprehend on their own, rely on the, these gigantic it, systems to step in for them.
2: I think it's hilarious that they, that they even ask that. I mean, that shows you how far broken the system is when somebody's asking, do you think banks should have the moral, you know, have something to say about this? And um, that's not how it used to be. So the world's perhaps most famous Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, is about a banker. The hero of that movie the banker, George Bailey. And the whole movie is about what would have happened if George Bailey hadn't been alive, if he'd have died. Okay, and he gets to see the town with him not being there. And in that movie, your local banker acts as a check and a balance against greed. He's there to m- circulate money around the local economy so that everybody has a decent you know, a set of aspirations. Okay. And we've gone so far away from that. Like in 1947, a banker was a hero in a Christmas movie. And you know, within a couple of generations because of the deregulation of the financial markets and the baby boomers kind of greedy modus operandi, we got to the the the, the Wolf of Wall Street and our banking movie one Christmas. So, you know, it's not that it hasn't been like this before. We can go back there, but the mere fact they have to say, Well, do you think we should have a moral purpose? <laughs> it's kind of kidding me. Yeah. How, why that why you know? That just proves how broken the whole thing is.
0: I think we'll sort of finish up soon, but Guy, I just wanted to ask, you know, in t- we haven't had a, you know, haven't been a very stocky conversation. That's, that's great in many ways. But, um, you know, just in terms of, you know, some of the things that you're excited about, I'm sure you, you like, uh, you know, looking for, discovering innovative companies and, and innovative people. Is there anything that you've, you've particularly been, um, as a, I guess as an investor, but as a person, you know, a person <laughs> excited about uh, over the last uh, couple of years or, or in, indeed months
1: or, or weeks? The evolution of the financial service sector has been simply incredible. You know, we've been under these very active uh, years, as you probably remember, you know, from the tech bubble uh, all the way up to 2008 with enormous success. Um, and leverage in the system, that all, I mean, that obviously with, you know, and, and I'm sure Mark will agree with, or knows, um, with you know, all the abuses and, and frauds that we've, we've seen, that has all come down crashing and has enabled regulators in, in, taking, taking the positive out of it, has enabled regulation Uh, Supervision to dramatically improve and uh, build a framework um, to make sure that it cannot at least cannot easily happen again. And that, um, for me, was certainly the difficulty to avoid to carry on avoiding companies that were not making the changes um, and investing for the future. And it brought me to this new segment, financial technology, that that really enabled the fund to go for uh, a different direction ba- backed by digital transformation, cybersecurity, uh, data, data analytics, data analytics, uh, payment processing, and really... What, it, what is, what is the, the result of this is that you have a cherry on the cake here, which is the world is improving. It does not look like it's improving when you read the news and what is going on on the other side of the pond, obviously. You think that it's actually deteriorating. But I think financial inclusion has improved, quality of life many has improved pre-COVID. Unfortunately, COVID has put a halt to that and we need to rethink how we're going to re-establish the levels of wealth for everyone pre-COVID. And what we have so far is governments and central banks using everything they can within their powers on a monetary policy front to, to avoid a crisis of the likes that we had during the global financial crisis and to act on uh, fiscal policies that are going to start very soon to improve the economy and bring back the jobs that have been lost. But I think generally speaking, what I've seen over the last 20 years is, if I take the words from Marx, it, a greedy period that went crashing down with uh, some good Elements coming in to supervise that we don't fall back into that type of phenomenon that we had pre two thousand and eight with the add on of digital transformation including more people to the to the system or the platform to to, to hopefully uh, bring a, a better system for all of us and hopefully not go down the way. The way Mark sees it, um, um, or at least uh, not too fast, uh, and with the hope that we we would have tried everything we can to avoid uh, such uh, such an end.
0: Okay, well, brilliant. I think I might uh, wrap things up there um, on on that note. Um, So I'll just leave me to to thank you both, uh, Mark and Guy. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Will.